Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Revolutions Per Minute. I'm Sebastian Lopez Vergara. And I'm Rydimeta Negebauer. Today we have a very different music choice. Like, we're always very, like, I don't know, dancey and more mellow. And But you're right, you're turning to the right show. What do we have today, Rydie? Today we are very lucky to have Chris Colligan here with us to talk about metal. Siba and I know very little about metal, so we're going to be learning a lot from Chris. We're going to be very pseudo metal heads today. But uh, yeah, we're very excited to have Chris here, who's going to tell us a little bit about the history and evolution of metal. And yeah, you know, what about metal really speaks to you? Why do you like metal music? Why should we like metal? <laughs> well, uh, hi. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, I've been loving y'all's pod. Um, what what makes me a fan of metal um besides your iron maiden shirt that you have there yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. which i i think i'm gonna periodically change uh, throughout the show depending on what because <laughs> if you know if you're not a metalhead you you know it's like why do all these people walk around wearing black t-shirts all the time and for a metal right. summer too you got to collect like literally every single t-shirt on the face of the planet um <laughs> So one of the things that I think that attracts me to, to metal um, that I didn't really think about uh, when I started getting into heavy metal is metal as a, as a subculture. Um, I, there's nothing really I, I enjoy more um, than the experience of getting to go to a metal show from you know, a huge arena concert um, for Priest that we just listened to or Maiden that's coming up next. Um, to a tiny club show, um, for, for example, either at like the Crocodile downtown or um, at El Corazon. El Corazon's kind of the, the metal hotspot um, for for Seattle. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, the, the kind of subculture element of it, um, but musically, uh, I think most people will tell you the, the aggression behind, um, behind heavy metal, but for me, it wasn't just that... Um, I like a whole broad range of music. And so a lot of the metal that I got into or that was my gateway into metal was really, um, really melodic. Hmm. Uh, so both Judas Priest that we just heard and then Iron Maiden coming up next, both very melody driven bands kind of inspired by seventies um, classic and progressive rock. Uh, like Thin Lizzy and Wishbone Ash with the, you know, the kind of harmonized dual guitar sound. And like, that was what kind of really, really got me hooked, as it were. And, in the and could you start, could you like briefly tell us uh, about Black Sabbath? Like, are, is Black Sabbath the origins of metal? Or is that... <sighs> That's tough. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Black Sabbath has to be the first true metal band. I mean, sometimes folks are going to throw in Led Zeppelin, but Hmm. kind of more rock than anything else but even sabbath itself was um really just a heavy blues band um they were a bunch of hippies who you know just really wanted to play heavier heavier blues i mean the the song that we uh let off with children of the grave um is this kind of really flower power metal anthem if you, you really drill oh. down into the lyrics um 
and all the sort of Satanism stuff that gets brought into it was basically because Geezer Butler, who was the band's bassist, thought that occult lyrics were cool because they are cool. Um, and yeah, so uh, you have to say that that Black Sabbath is the the start of heavy metal, but um, blues and classical music are instrumental to the development of, of heavy metal. Um, blues guitarists like Robert Johnson um, or the guy's name is escaping me, but he, but he was the lead guitarist for, for uh, Howling Wolf in the 50s, started really bringing in a more distorted guitar sound um, that then folks like Eric Clapton as part mm. of Cream really, you know, latched onto, or Jimi Hendrix, and then um, Tony Iommi, uh, who is the lead guitarist for, for Black Sabbath, really kind of uh, is inspired by, by those guys. Um, and then from the kind of classical side, um, if you listen to Black Sabbath's first album, uh, it really starts off with this dark tritone, um, which is a variation on, um, if you're familiar with Holst's Mars, um, like the planet suite. Um, it's like that heavy, heavy timpani driven um, and horn driven uh, song. Uh, it's basically just a variation on that because it sounds dark and evil. Um, so yeah, it's this marriage of blues and classical that I think gives heavy metal both this um, ominous attitude with this kind of grandiose scale, like this grandiose soundscape. Um, yeah. and, and so what do we have next? Like is, we have Iron Maiden and some others. Is that like a shift in metal? Is that a natural progression? Did they take the genre different? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great, great question. Um, so uh, Judas Priest is actually uh, a very early metal band as well. They, they are founded around the same times in the exact same part of the UK, uh, in the Midlands. And um, it's just that for whatever reason, Priest has some more lineup changes and it's kind of harder for them to get a record deal and start getting going. But like, they're kind of emerging from the same scene as Sabbath. Uh, and then you've got the next uh, group of British bands, the so-called new wave of British heavy metal. Or if you're ever around a metalhead, I'll say the word Nawabum, which is just a nonsense acronym. Um, and so those bands are like Iron Maiden, um, early, 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 early Def Leppard. Uh, but then mostly bands like Saxon, Tigers of Pantang. Um, yeah. And so they, they're going to be uh, much faster um, than, than kind of the slow, heady blues of, of Sabbath. Um, and then from there, we're going to shift into um, the thrash metal scene. Uh, so the thrash metal scene emerges from the United States. Uh, there's kind of a just like 90s rap where there's like East Coast rap and West Coast rap, there's East Coast thrash and Bay Area thrash, uh, basically. And so we have two Bay Area bands uh, on the list. We have Metallica's Ride the Lightning, but we're actually going to be listening to um, a more recent cover uh, from a band named Hailstorm. Um, Lizzie Hale is a really great ambassador for heavy metal. Uh, they kind of put out these covers EPs. Uh, every album cycle that frequently have some uh, really classic heavy metal cuts on it. So we're going to listen to their cover of Ride the Lightning. Uh, and then we're going to finish off the set with Megadeth's uh, P-Cells. Um, so Megadeth is one of the other big four thrash metal bands, along with uh, Metallica, Anthrax, and Slayer in the 80s. And um, they're fronted by Dave Mustaine, who was originally the lead guitarist for Metallica. Um, but Meg um, 
Dave Mustaine is kind of like the Marvel supervillain of the thrash metal scene. Like, he he just can't get out of his own way. He's just brilliantly talented, but also has kind of had a history of being a huge asshole. Uh, so he got fired from Metallica and then kind of, and this is the where the Marvel supervillain part comes in. He's just like, I'm going to get revenge. I have to be heavier and faster than Metallica. And so he founds Megadeth. Uh, and so we're going to be listening to their track, Peace Cells, um, which uh, for you 90s folks, if you ever watched MTV News, um, the bass line that opens that up uh, is the bass line from Peace Cells, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, let's, uh, let's kick it off with uh, Iron Maiden's Two Minutes to the Night. This was like my band that kind of got me super duper into heavy metal, and I have embarrassingly seen them like an unconscionable number of times at this point. So, yeah. <laughs> Let it rip. Okay. Cool. All right.
Bravas. Uh, that was a great set, Chris. Um, clearly, you could tell the difference between that one and the set before. Definitely a lot faster. We didn't, uh, we didn't touch really on the lyrical content of any of those tracks, and this was completely unintentional, but uh, given uh, the possible, well, given the trial balloon that the Trump administration floated yesterday about possibly restarting uh, nuclear testing, yeah, uh, I thought these tracks were oddly appropriate, um, given that right. Two Minutes to Midnight is a, a reference to the, the closest that the doomsday clock got to midnight, um, the, the bullet of atomic scientists. Uh, so fun times that we find ourselves in. Well, well, also, I mean, Megadeth's song, Peace Sells, uh, very explicitly political um, in terms of the lyrical content. Is that, is that typical for these type of metal bands to be so explicit? In terms yeah, of that's a great classic? question. Um, so for thrash metal bands, they, I think that that's the first time you really start to get um, more explicitly unabashedly political lyrics um, from metal bands. And that's probably in no small part because thrash metal is kind of a marriage of that new wave of British heavy metal that we heard with Judas Priest and Iron Maiden with hardcore punk. Um, and so a lot of those hardcore punk bands are obviously very political um, in their lyrical content. And so thrash metal bands are really thriving on that, especially East Coast bands, but um, uh, which we are not really listening to. But the next West Coast band that we will listen to in Testament, um, they're the same way. Yeah. I see. And can you speak to them kind of these bands talking about politics more explicitly based on the time or the decades in which they're playing and what's happening politically or is that what they're doing? I mean, these are 1980s, 1990s. There's a lot going on around the world, not to say there isn't any more here. I mean, <laughs> even, even the name, but, like Iron Maiden in the UK, is that a reference to Thatcher at all or no? Nah? No. Um, yeah, fortunately, it's not a reference to Thatcher because uh, the band the band precedes uh, <laughs> Thatcher. Um, uh, Sorry, Riddhi, what was your what was your original question? Oh, well, just in terms of Thatcher, Reagan. Uh, oh yeah, what are they? What are they responding to? Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, they're they're responding to to their their own context for sure. Um, what those particular current concerns are, um, I think, definitely varies depending on the politics of the band. I mean, some bands are more comfortable being more political than others. Um, one thing that I think is kind of interesting is the some of the lyrical content um, about the way war is portrayed um, in the aftermath here of Vietnam within the United States. Um, so one of Metallica's most famous songs, One, uh, is really a very staunch anti-war song. It's a, about a World War I um, infantryman who loses all of his limbs and then all other senses as well and is basically just consigned to this table being used as a political prop and he's just like begging to die um and and so i think that what you kind of see in that is not always i mean it's uh, it's clear that um, metal lyrics are not always leftist by any stretch uh, of the imagination I, I don't like we can't argue with that 
Um, but what that does kind of demonstrate is that the consistent anti-authoritarian, anti-institutional streak within, um, within the, the genre. Yeah. And it seems like in the next set that we have, there is some additional commentary too, it seems like, right? In terms of the, the plight of our planet. Yes, yeah, so I think that certain metal bands start getting more interested in environmental issues um, in the in the late '80s, early '90s, in in a very I think '90s way, right? Very much a we're going to focus on very specific issues rather than like big systemic problems. So it's always like save the fucking whales or you know like save the rainforest, and I mean that's what we're going to be listening to here with Testament's Greenhouse Effect. Um, I think it's good that, you know, these bands are still embracing this lyrical content and, you know, I don't think that we can uh, ask these bands to be um, super nuanced and sophisticated in their lyrics in a genre that's driven by guitar wankery and frippery, but yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got uh, Greenhouse Effect from Testament uh, next, and then we're going to have a stylistic shift. Um, we're going to listen to our first death metal song, um, a title or a track titled Vacant Planets from um, kind of the first uh, real, real death metal band named appropriately Death. Um, they're unfortunately not around anymore. Um, the, the founder passed away uh, several years back, but um, Death marries uh, kind of thrash metal aesthetics um, with kind of some some prog elements as well. Um, so you'll hear that in the guitar work. And then we're gonna finish out uh, this set with um, a stoner metal band uh, called The Sword. Uh, they're currently on hiatus, but they're super cool from uh, Austin, Texas and their track uh, Dying Earth. So you'll definitely be able to hear like a big range of what you know metal has to offer uh, within, uh, within this next uh, subset of tracks. Yeah, I've I've always struggled to understand what the fuss is about death metal. So I'm curious to hear more of that. And you mean by fuss? Like well, just the appeal in general? Appeal in general, sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't I, get death metal. <laughs> and 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 um it's just I don't know if you want to talk about this me. now or if you want to talk about it later. Like, I, I mean, I only fairly recently started getting into to death metal. You kind of have to find your right niche. And like I said, exactly. you know, at the top, um, for me, that was really in melody. Uh, and so the, my entry into death metal bands um, was actually a band named Amona Marth, which you probably have heard their name um, around because they're really like the biggest death metal band around right now uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but they were like a Viking themed metal band and all that they sing about is Viking shit. So that doesn't really apply for our, for the purposes of this pod. Um, and, but yeah, they're, they're very heavily melody driven. They borrow a lot from Iron Maiden. So like that was my entry. And so if, uh, if you don't already get, get quote unquote death metal, it's unlikely that death is going to be your, uh, your, your starting point, but uh, okay. Okay. Rock on, maybe, maybe it will. Okay. All right. Let's give it a shot. Once a stray, the rainforest floods away. 
Get out! 
With that set on, we ended with stoner metal. But I did find an addition. Something joined us, which was a besides all of the shirts that Chris has been wearing, uh, is the uh, what's the name? The double pedal on the drums. Yes, yes. Uh, double double kick pedals. We might have had that appear during uh, Death? Um, maybe maybe greenhouse effect, but. We definitely had it during uh, Vacant Planets. Yeah. Uh, yes. Heavy rolling double bass pedals and blast beats. That's where all this is starting to come in. Yeah. yeah. It was like, I don't know. It felt like a saturation of sounds. Like everybody is trying, every single like instrument is trying to do as much as possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just this kind of cacophony of sound. And I mean, in these really bizarre time signatures um, too, like if I remember right, I um, I was kind of looking up the music for for Vacant Planets for guitar um, the other day, and it's like 13-4, you know, a common time is like a 4-4 measure, and it's like, this is in 13-4, and then it's in 16-4, and then it's in 18-4, and it's like, what is this? Like, who writes music like this? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it creates this, this, this atmosphere, this attitude that is unlike anything else that you kind of get um, in any metal that comes before it. And it's also like relatively shorter songs too, that they're trying to accomplish so much. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And I, I think that you can kind of see like elements of, of kind of the second wave of prog rock bands in that, like Rush, right? Where, you know, Rush wrote really, really long songs for basically 74 to 78. And then like with, um, with permanent waves and moving pictures, they like still make these really intricate uh, arrangements, but um, in this much shorter kind of poppier in some ways format. Yeah. yeah. Well, and actually some of these last songs in the subset reminded me a bit of our episode from last week where we were talking about Tony Allen, the drummer, and remind me a bit about actually Afrobeat, primarily because Tony Allen was known for being able to play the drums in a very unique way. Like some of his limbs were doing different things. Um, so one drummer could sound like there are actually four drummers. And that's what kind of seems, anyways, mm. it's very similar. Um, maybe, you know, sort of the roots of it are very similar to what's happening here in these metal songs. Uh, honestly, I would not be, so Sean Reiner is the drummer. Uh, he unfortunately passed away earlier this year, but he's the drummer on, um, that death song that we listened to. And I would not be shocked if he was influenced by Tony Allen at all. Huh. Um, I, a lot of death metal musicians are, I think, mus musicians, musicians. Uh -huh. um, and from the outside, it can just feel like this impenetrable, like garbage. Like, what the fuck are you playing? You're just standing there playing the E string, like your low E string that you've tuned down three whole steps, and you're just chunk, 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 chunk. And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, that ends up being part of it. But I mean, when you have to factor in, like, um, the, you know, the time change, the time signature changes, and the tempo changes, and being able to put all that together live, it's that's really fucking hard. Yeah, yeah, it's such a technical genre. Like, like yes. Yeah. And fascinatingly, there is now a whole big subgenre of death metal called technical death metal. Um, technical there's, death metal. <laughs> <laughs> there's actually uh, a band that originally was on this um, 
called uh, Gojira. Uh, that's that's what they, they're from France. That's what they play is technical death metal, and um, it would have fit really nicely because they they are very famous for having environmentally focused lyrics. Huh. Um, but their songs do tend to be like twenty fucking minutes long. So at the, wow. you know, in the interest of not being here for eight hours, yeah. exactly. No Gojira. <laughs> and also something else to be said about like. It's so interesting that metal bands and also the the way that they name the genre. It's like, what is it with the? Uh, well, we have like Megadeth, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Death, right? There's something with the naming, and also, why is it that it's called death metal? Is it in 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 relation to like the lyrical content? Uh, is it just what is it that makes it death metal? Not in not only in, turn, in technical terms, but like, why is it death? Um, is there an explanation or no? Yeah, I, I think that you're right that it's the lyrical content in no okay. small part. Um, early on, well, and still today, like a lot of death metal lyrics end up being kind of really body horror focused. Okay. Um, like really gruesome graphic imagery of like decaying corpses in a pit and like feels gross um and like death's early stuff themselves was kind of in that vein a little bit more um their first i think it was their first album was called just straight up scream bloody gore um and you have early other other early death metal bands like cannibal corpse um and they're singing about the same sort of shit and like honestly that's like that's fine and all. And like, I, I can get into that sometimes, but the thing that really attracted me to death was like their shift towards like both m- more musical sophistication on, al- on albums like human that we had just heard this track from. Um, and also just kind of more abstract conceptual trippy kind of lyrics, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I think it's to answer your question in short, I think that the album or the genre or subgenre gets its name from a combination of the lyrical content about kind of body horror and gore and then the harsh vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so that's hard, like you, you kind of see the emergence of um, death metal and then black metal around the same time. And we're going to get to a couple black metal bands later. Um, they sound kind of similar, but there are some really key distinctions, um, especially as we will discuss politically uh, uh, between the two subgenres. But yeah, I guess I guess we could save that. Cool. So, what do we have next? Uh, next, we have um, a uh, Brazilian metal band, very famous band called Sepultura. Um, they are responsible for. Um, They're, they're, how would I put this? They're like one of the biggest groove metal bands, which is like a, a subgenre that emerges in the 90s and then kind of like dies off, oddly enough. Um, probably because like a lot of groove metal gets turned into new metal, like awful shit, like Disturbed. And so I think everybody who's like used to listen to groove metal is like, well, I want to listen to something else now because it got co-opted by this commercial shit. And it's awful. Um but yeah, so they're they're a they're a groove metal band, and you're gonna be able to hear that right away. Like, um, I think it's Igor Cavalera is the drummer. There's there's two Cavalera brothers in the band. Um, I think Igor is the drummer, and so he uh, he has this very kind of um, groovy drumming style, for lack of a better term, very kind of driving, uh, Tom driven, 
um, arrangement. And then the next song we're going to hear is uh, also kind of 90s, early 2000s uh, metal band, System of a Down, um, who, uh, while I think they got most famous for some of their radio hits, uh, should be remembered more for, I think, their, their politics, um, their efforts to highlight the Armenian genocide, and their incorporation of just a fuck ton of weird, different influences um, in their band. Like, you know, you end up having this kind of start-stop chunk chunk of, like, death metal with uh, some Armenian folk lyric or uh, licks with a literal voiceover in the song that we're going to hear a prison song uh, that is about like studies about what is, what are effective um, criminal justice policies. And it's like, where else are you going to find that? Where are you going to find all three of those in a band? Nowhere. System of a Down. That's it. Yeah. Well, and, and that kind of reminds me a bit of um, Rage Against the Machine as well, which I imagine, or are, are they peers? They came yes. up at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Rage would be, a little bit earlier, a couple years earlier. Um, but yeah, they're kind of emerging out of that same scene, both incorporating the what you would term alternative metal influences uh, in the late 90s. Yeah, and both very kind of start bringing some into that as well. Yeah. Right, and, and both very political and that too from a very left Marxist socialist perspective, it seems like. Yes, but then like at the same time, Rage is charging like what, like 150 bucks per ticket? I know, I saw that. Come oh, on, <laughs> like, what is this? Come on, Tom. Come on, Tom. Like, you're, yeah. you're the one that's like, should be out there being like, what? Like, don't rip off my fans, man. Yeah, yeah. $20 tickets is what it should look like. All right, so we give this a shot. We'll have Sepultura and then System of a Down. That's uh, right. All right, here we go. Yeah. 
Following the right movement to clamp down with your iron fist Drugs became conveniently available for all the kids Following the right movement to clamp down with your iron fist Drugs became conveniently available for all the kids Are fantastic, yeah. It reminds me a lot of actually a lot of Rage's lyrics too are actually really great. So yeah. Yeah, and you've got this weird thing too, since they've got like they actually have two or they had two lead singers, because uh Darren Malacky and the guitarist frequently sang two, and so you can kind of hear his voice in the background of that. But I think Serge, who's the lead singer, he's the one who's like actually writing like all of the political lyrics and just like trying to stuff it down everybody else's throat. It's like, we are going to sing this shit. It's going to be this part of our music. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then I also actually wanted to talk a little bit about Sepultura and um, sort of metal around the world. Um, and because I know that there's quite a bit of metal following yeah. Scandinavia um, and of course in Europe in generally, but um, and obviously North America, but, you know, there's different types as, you know, we have Sepultura from Brazil, but there are a number of metal bands in various parts of Asia as well. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about sort of metal around the world, if you know much about any of these other bands and sort of the influence of metal elsewhere. 
yeah. Um, so I think I, I would want to start answering that by um, kind of admitting the faults of the, or the blind spots in metal um, that, that from where I come from, I guess, from where I've approached it. Because I did start with all of these white, male, typically British uh, bands. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, the, the genre has uh, rightfully got um, a lot of flack for its, uh, its racial and gender politics. Um, but sometimes I think that ends up translating over to like the characteristics of the music itself, you know, the idea that um, this music at its core is just evil and angry and aggressive. But like, that's not, that's not true. That's not like it has to belong to, you know, uh, one, one group of people. Um, and so, yeah, I think you're absolutely right that, uh, that over, in particular, over the past three, two to three decades, you've just seen a massive explosion of metal bands around the world. Um, there was a fantastic documentary uh, about heavy metal in Iraq um, a few years back at this point. Um, What's the name of that? Do you remember the name of that? I, I want to say it's Heavy Metal Baghdad, but I can't. Don't quote me okay. on it. I'll look it up. Okay. Um, right. I'll look it up. Uh, New York Times had a had a piece, um, man, I think last year at this point, uh, about how um, metal might be a, an, a way to um, continue indigenous languages that are disappearing. Uh, I thought that was really 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 fucking cool um, that's great yeah i mean i think there's this mongolian band that sings in you know sings in a story i think it's a indigenous language um i think it's called the band's name is the who and hu and yeah i think they're trying to preserve that language um but then i've also seen uh metal bands playing a pivotal role in the hong kong protests mm -hmm. that have been ongoing so um I think that's really interesting how metal is kind of being applied in different contexts. And, and I think that what you've also seen is something that, that is good that emerges from the, the black metal subgenre. Um, and we can touch on uh, its origins um, and its contentious relationship with wooden churches um, in a minute. But I think one of the things that does come out of it that's good is this kind of do it yourself ethos. And I think that that, like that's the first time you really get that in heavy metal because like all these other heavy metal bands that we listen to from the eighties are, are huge. Like they have pretty solid label support fairly early on in their careers. Um, and that's not true for these black metal bands. You know, they're, they're recording in basements with really, really crap gear um, that end up becoming a hallmark of the sound. Uh, and I think that, you know, as, as bands have been able to start self-publishing their material um, via websites like Bandcamp in particular, um, highly encourage everybody to buy as much of their music as they can off of Bandcamp, support artists in this time. Um, I think that that has, has allowed for metal to, to rapidly globalize in a really, really awesome way. Um, and has, has allowed folks to push back uh, against kind of the shitty, some of the shitty gatekeeping elements within metal. Um, whether that's because of 
um, gender identity or or race. Um, yeah, I think that there is more scope now than there ever has been for um, anybody to get into heavy metal and without, you know, somebody kind of putting them down and telling them that they're not part of the scene, you know. That's so interesting that you're mentioning that of, of metal. Like what you've shown us is like such a progression in the sounds and like a diversification of it. But yeah, I mean, my experience with metal was from like proxy. Um, many of my friends were very in growing up into metal, but there was that gatekeeping element that you're mentioning of like, oh no, you cannot listen to that because it's not like very metal or something. But at the same time, like what you're showing us is that it's a genre that it's so open to change, right? Yeah, I, I really think that it is. I think that the, the gatekeeping stuff is worst I, I, or most acute when you're first I think yourself feeling out the boundaries of what's acceptable mm. uh, within the subculture. Um, and if you, you know, if you're, if you're in a metal, in a, in a parking lot of a metal concert um, in the Midwest, like, yeah, you're going to have fans that are, that might be douches, but like, if you, just start getting more into the music itself. You really start realizing that like, no, there is, there is a place for, for people like me, whatever that might be um, within this scene. Um, I think that one of the landmark moments in heavy metal really is when Rob Halford, who's the lead singer of Judas Priest, fantastic fucking singer, came out in the nineties. Um, you know, like that was, that was a big deal um, that, you know, he, that he was comfortable to do that. Um, and it wasn't like it was ever a secret for Rob Halford. I mean, like the whole leather image comes from like the leather subculture. Rob Halford literally went into like an S&M store and was like, give me all of your leather shit. And I'm gonna wear, make my bandmates wear this stuff on stage. Um, and so like, it wasn't ever a secret, uh, but nonetheless, I think that it was so important for, for you know, that to be able to happen. That's um, awesome. And yeah. so, like, moving I think to what's coming next. Yeah, and so, and moving to what's coming next, like, is where you're taking us, like, different, I don't know, horizons yeah. about openness? So, uh, the next uh, band we're going to listen to is um, a Antifa uh, black metal band. Um, so, black metal uh, emerges from... Um, Norway in particular, uh, as well as the other Scandinavian countries in the kind of mid to late 80s. Um, and it really, it, it's it, that first wave of the black metal at its core really embraces, embraces this kind of nihilistic worldview um, that is undoubtedly attractive. Um, uh, I could see how it could be uh, attractive, but is just kind of at this point, a fucking non-starter, you know, uh, for, for me. Um, and um, that kind of nihilism ends up uh, seeping then into, or extending into, like, um, into far-right politics um, and kind of anti-religious elements. It's like, it ends up being just anti-institution, whatever that may be. Uh, and... Um, all too often has just really shit politics. Uh, 
so it, yeah so uh we're gonna be listening to a uh band that explicitly rejects all that shit uh a band named gaylord who is a trans artist from i think he's originally from canada um and the track we're going to listen to is odin doesn't listen to national socialist black metal you inbred alt-right shit heels um so i don't know that it can get any more explicit than that um and then the uh second track we're going to listen to to close it out is i i actually do not know how to pronounce this band's name and if i butcher it i am terribly sorry to them uh but they are an indigenous band um from california called ishatlan uh and so uh we're gonna listen to their track creator and eagle north so this is like a concept album um or a concept ep rather that um has one track dedicated towards or to indigenous peoples in north central and south america uh, yeah cool okay I'm excited all right here we go
was impressive chris awesome what yeah, great collection fantastic yeah what a fantastic journey through metal. What, a, what a what an interesting also way to finish ourselves like new yeah new sounds like i didn't know about this band at all i mean i didn't know about any of these bands but it's so interesting that the 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 combination of sounds yeah 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 Thank you. And yeah, thank you. Thank you folks for having me on. I, I really had a fucking blast um, getting to put this together. And, and yeah, I, 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 there's so much more that I would love to talk about with metal. If you gave me the chance, I, <laughs> I think maybe in the future we should, we should explore about uh, black metal. Like, I think it's such a like touchy subject that I think we could, we could dissect it very well. For sure. Or just, you know, something that's more explicitly about, um, you know, the, the gender or sexuality politics, politics of, of metal. Um, kind of the thing that I snuck into this, for example, uh, is I had mentioned that, that Rob Halford is, uh, uh, is gay. And so other uh, like we also have Lizzie St Lizzie uh, Hale is by uh, let's see Sean Reiner from Death uh, gay um, Paul Mazdevol from Death yay uh, Gaylord trans and it's like you know there's just like there's so much scope for for groups that we typically think of as underrepresented in in metal and it's just I I, I think that I emphatically reject that bullshit fuck that. <laughs> so I have one last question that is more like a, it's not a very serious question but in your opinion since you you shown to us all of this different genre variations what's the worst metal variation in your opinion is like well, it would be the one that I it would definitely be the one that I didn't put on here um, that would be hair metal because it's not metal. metal? Hair metal is, see, this is where I'm going to start being the gatekeeping asshole, where it's like, <laughs> hair metal is not metal. That's pop. If we had, like, yeah, if you had asked me to put on, like, Poison or Motley Crue or something, I think I'd rather have lit myself on fire, so. 
which isn't entirely true. I will occasionally listen to a Molly Crew song, but mostly they suck. Well, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So, so we'll uh, hopefully have you on again soon to talk more about metal, whether it be black metal or um, talking about the gender and sexuality norms that metal is challenging. And, and we can even talk about metal from around the world. So uh, absolutely. And that's, and that's something that I continue to, you know, I really endeavor to broaden my metal horizons. At this point, I feel like I'm basically the Homer Simpson donut gif, where it's just like stuff more metal albums down my throat. Give me more. <laughs> Perfect. You're going to be a fantastic resource for us to tap <laughs> in the future. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you.